So as we move through the book in Second Kings, we're obviously in our study of understanding God through a very purposeful and anointed prophet, Elisha. And so this is one of those very obvious works of the dynamics that he had received per request. I want a double portion of the blessing that you had, Elijah. And all he had to do was keep his eyes on Elijah until he was taken up into heaven. Very often that's a picture as well of the believer. We really just have to keep our eyes on the one who was taken up into heaven, Jesus. And the Spirit of God, both in that acknowledgement of the sincerity that we have to serve, which is what that song was about, discipleship, the anointing comes from him, distributed gifts that he assigns to us that we learn in exercising by being a part of this community of family right now. So Elisha right now is going to be highlighted in an act of compassion that a man will be crying out for, a man that by his position and rank would be one to find that very difficult to do. Because very often status affects arrogance as opposed to initiates humility. This man also would be from a place different from where Elisha was at. He didn't belong to the Jewish nation. What we would discover and will be revealed is that he was really an enemy of Israel. The world is at enmity with God and much of the world are enemies to Israel, the Jewish people. And yet God's hand is not only reaching down to a world that has rejected God, but in particular willing to forgive man of that sin of rejection that has become so obvious in at least our mind's eye to the heart of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we're going to see that love translate in this passage of scripture. The title has a significance in terms of what men attempt to do, clean up before they get caught up, before they can enter into really connecting with God. I'm just going to do some stuff that's the superficial the stuff that I think God will be impressed with and the stuff that others will see my good works, my change of heart. And so basically in those two words, soap, nope. There was a song in 1961, I'm kind of a fan of particular music genres, and I'm not going to read it all, but enough to capture perhaps in it the... Um, pathos of this. A lot of songs were in those days. It was called A Little Bit of Soap. A little bit of soap will never, 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 ever erase the pain in my heart 
and my eyes as I go through the lonely years. A little bit of soap will never wash away my tears. And as you can kind of suggest to yourself, it was a song of sorrow because of a woman who had betrayed the love interest of the songwriter. And so the songwriter moves through the fact that I can get cleansed in one way, but it's never going to touch the depth of depression that I have, betrayal that I still feel. And so I found it to be at least a connection with what men will do in trying to clean up their act and trying to have an alternative to what God requires. The alternative of what God requires can never take away sin. Good works very often are those things that men will do. They will organize to be recognized for how much they do. The good things that they say, it's never enough though. And so to that point, this is where we will find a man wrestling to find himself saved from the predicament that now has become obvious. He's afflicted, he's infected. He will be to others an objection. He will be rejected and he will be demoted if there's not a change that can reconcile a condition that's become now evident to him. Let's pick it up in this chapter. Now Naaman, that's his name, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Who's his master? Well, his master is the king of Syria. He serves him as a military commander, and under him are hundreds, if not thousands, of warriors. So that's what we know. He's esteemed with honor. He's got a high position. Victories for that nation are dependent upon his leadership. And as we know, even in our culture, when leadership fails to lead a nation and to do so to what we believe, at least in our examination of Scripture, is according to the king, our king, not simply our president, things don't go well in the wars. Things don't go well in the battles. There's loss, lots of loss, costly, sorrowful loss of men and women who have died, and probably we can say at times needlessly, for what could have been a great victory. This Naaman, what we do know, is favored. And what I may say as well to others who could say, I am or was Naaman, is that the favor of God equally is upon you because the favor of God's Son is for you. That's the amazing thing about grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, the love of God for us through the Son of God who died in place of us. 
honorable man, the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, comma, but a leper. Oh, the buts. That little comma and then the conjunction that identifies the predicament that says to us, what now? What does it mean? He's a leper. And so that is a condition. Some would call it an old world condition or an ancient affliction. It does exist. Many of the things that have been both by health protocols and the kinds of dietary excellence that we have in these days since that time has somewhat banished this bacterium leprosy. It does exist, but to those in those days, it was to them incurable. And the answer for them, if it was not to the Judaic law, was to banish the people to a place in which among themselves they could dwell and there they would die outside of the common people's lives and success that they once would have had and the joy of being with family, as any of us would say, our hearts are for, that's where they would be relegated to. If not that, an execution that this disease might not spread. In those days, it would have been a communicable disease. It was associated with touch. You touch that person who has that disease, leprosy, you will get it and you will die. Leprosy is a bacterium. It is one that finds itself a home in the deeper portions of the dermis, and that's just a complicated word that says your skin gets under your skin. We use that phrase, don't we? That guy, that person gets under my skin. And you're really probably saying very accurately, medically, I'm infected by that person. And I don't like it. Makes my skin crawl. Leprosy would do really the opposite. It would make the skin go numb. The association with leprosy is not so much cancerous, but the fact that in this process of becoming numb, insensitive to what we would say are tactile warnings, a person wouldn't know that they're burning themselves. A person wouldn't know that they've been cut. Because of it being a bacterium that could invade that wound, nestle itself in the dermal layer, there could be a healing over that area, but the bacterium would thrive until on a given moment in which, per se, the autoimmune system would no longer be functioning. It would make itself the culprit of even a greater infection that then on the skin would spread to other locations of the skin. Again, the seemingly sensitive portion of the skin 
that could give warnings to heat and cold and wounds and scratches and bites would no longer be in play. So the more cuts and scrapes and so forth that you would have, the infection would continue to propagate because it was a bacterium that would thrive. Once it came out of the dermal layers, then it would be able to thrive. You have aerobic and anaerobic bacteria. This is one that thrived once it reached the surface. And so as a result, we're those who know, wow, that bite is infected. That's a bacterium that has taken advantage of a bite that you've received. And most of us say, got to soak it. Got to put an antibacteria solve on it. I have to go to the doctor and get that removed. There was, for a while, a virus that was very much uh, infecting a broad community of people. And I know that one of the names of it was SARS. And if you didn't catch it in time, it would move from an itch to a very hard core, but then it would become inflamed, but the core would continue to get bigger. And so I saw that what happened in that is that you would have to go to ER or to a general doctor and the prescription would always be the same. Got to cut it out. And then we have an antibacterium that we will give you both orally, that means ingested so that your bloodstream would carry throughout your entire body that which would defeat this invading bacterium and also a salve that would keep the anaerobic attributes of this bacterium from being able to grow further. So whatever affliction it may be, it's bacterium. It's a little bit different than cancer. Usually the skin cancers work from without and move within. This moves from within and comes out. There's a dilemma for this guy. They didn't have medicine as we have it. They had a priestly prescription, but he wasn't a part of the Jewish community. So he didn't know about Leviticus 14 and 15 and 13, in which those who were infected needed to present themselves before the priests, where it could be spiritually, medically diagnosed to be able to put a person in isolation, but not for the purpose of banishment, but rather clarification, determination. Yep, you got it. What do I do? You got to stay away from people for a while. What happens then? You're going to come back for an examination. Because the continuance of separation, but the invitation to come back for examination, there was a spiritual solution to this problem. Literally, the implication in Leviticus 14 and 15 in particular, gave all the remedy necessary. It was to seek the priesthood, to have God talk to you about it, that there would be remedy if you waited and obeyed. Naaman has only right now the favor of an earthly king, and he can't do much with it, nor can any man or woman here do much with the favor of simply someone who has authority in your life, unless it's by the authority 
of God. Even for Naaman, who the scriptures are identifying right now as one whom God has given favor to, is not yet out of a dark place. It's just showing that grace abounds. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, much more. Therefore, what does it mean? Do we continue in sin that grace might abound? Paul would pen, may God forbid that. No. That's, in essence, the picture. That even on the merit of God's favor towards you and blessing you and success, sin will always have still the same outcome, a blemish that moves into insensitivity and ultimately captivity and surrender of the things that you were noted for of excellence. The Syrians, verse 2, had gone out on raids. This is the beginning of informing this guy of what he needed to do. But they'd gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Enemies of Israel taking a young girl from Israel. How could God favor that guy when ultimately he's the one that's going to divide a family over the kidnapping of a daughter and she then serving his wife? It seems so illogical, doesn't it? It seems like what ought to have happened is the Israelis created a raid and taken the Syrians out and they probably could have done it. But remember, the kingdom's divided, and if, with that, it's, it's weaker than it should have been. Same is true with you and I as a nation. We see the kingdom that God has given to us in the form of a government, which we see as a republic and a democracy. It's weakened because of ideology, sinful leadership, and leading those who, in innocence, are following unconscionably away from the things of God that are determined to bring us into heaven and to create a healthy lifestyle on earth. And it's just the opposite that's happening. It's happening really fast. It's happening really intentionally. It's a work of Satan. It's abominable. We've seen it. Definitions are being challenged and changed. Morality is being thrown out for immorality, which is being welcomed. It's sin. It's a cultural leprosy that has been underneath the dermal layer of America. And it's made its way now to the surface where it's thriving in literally the living and breathing of lungs and hearts that should be beating for God and living for Him. But nevertheless, look what God will do to bring a man to his knees. This young girl will be used by God. She's serving Him, no doubt, safely by being alongside His wife. And then she said to her mistress, if only 
my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. The faith of a young little girl who was kidnapped, who could in this time be bemoaning life herself. And yet she knows deeply the heart of God in a special way. That's why parents teach your children's well. Teach them. Crosby, Stills, and Nash said many things profoundly in that song. It wasn't a godly song, but in that set of lyrics, teach your children well. That's a phrase that God would echo and said, I wrote that back in Deuteronomy. That's my lyric. Teach your children well. That they being vulnerable into captivity by their culture can stand firm and say, this is what the prophet will do for you. This is Elisha that she's aware of. What a marvelous testimony of what God can do in revealing truth through such a young person who in no doubt suffering loss of her own does not suffer the loss of wisdom to be given. Profound wisdom. I'm amazed at godly children who have been taught well in their homes. And so she extols Elisha. Most importantly, the God of Elisha, a prophet of his choosing. And so Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus, said the girl, who is from the land of Israel. You know that place we just ransacked, kidnapped? That place. And then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed. <laughs> okay, we did ransack him. We did kidnap I think we did some looting too. Nevertheless, I will send a diplomatic letter uh, on your behalf. I'm sure I can work this out. You're probably not looked at too kindly right now, but you're a good man. I'm going to write my letter and get you in. And so he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, a little bit of money, doesn't hurt every now and then, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. This is called buttering up. The bureaucracy and then he brought the letter to the king of Israel which said now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy poignant letter specific this would be a letter of recommendation I write them with frequency because there are positions that we hold in which others find it of value that you say something of truth about them that will be read by those who will employ them. It has been done for me. I've done it for others, you as well. And so the letter is not to be faulted. Of course, we know these guys don't know necessarily any better because they're behaving as a culture that is worldly, carnal, evil. And yet it seems that in these war games, diplomacy is still an open door if you can add to it the coins of persuasion, 
the garments that make the consideration just a little bit warmer. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. It didn't really work. This isn't necessarily high spirituality right now. He basically is a king with his own problems. Remember, both of these kingdoms of the two that are divided, Judah is the one that's operating better than Israel. Israel has a disgusting lineage of kings and only has a couple of reprieves briefly. This isn't necessarily one of them. And his attitude shows that he has very little that he wants to offer. But notice, as this is said, under suspicion, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. You see, Elisha is making it clear the distinction of my office is different than yours. What you could have done is directed him to me, or you could have been one holding your bearings, saying this is an opportunity for me to make peace with those scoundrels who are our enemies and who have abducted the innocent and who have taken that which is not theirs this is an opportunity to change things. And very often this is what God would say. We have an opportunity to change the directions of this country and how we choose to operate as a godly country, one nation under God. But if not, here's what your diplomacy is going to buy you. Nothing but contention. There will be those who see your blankets and your gold and your silver, your offer, your letter, and you will be laughed at. The tearing that will happen will be of your garments, not theirs. You won't touch them by any means with whatever you choose to give. And that's very often what happens. We lose billions and billions of dollars trying to appease those in which we have no true connection with because God is out of the equation. We do not go to those any longer as ambassadors, as a nation that's been blessed so richly, and by the involvement that we've had with Israel, we no longer go as a strong nation with strong morality, but we're brokering cunningly and sheepishly and without strength, we're losing pretty consistently. And so Elisha, though, directs the heart of God to the king. And he says, send him my way. Notice this. Naaman, it says, verse 9, went with his horses and chariot. And he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha's in Samaria, 
that's where the northern kingdom is operating right now. Judah is in Israel proper, or what you would call the old city. And so he comes up to Elisha's home. And as he does so, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Comes to Elisha's house, Elisha sends out his servant, giving him the direction. Okay, so this is a conflict even that we see today within the church. Well, I came to see Jesus. Not whoever you are, a servant of the Lord, a disciple of... No, I want Jesus to do this. It is likened like that. Elisha is stepping back to show that in his authority, he can give a directive through someone that obedience will render the same outcome as if he met him personally. Jesus does that by means of the Spirit of God moving in each one of us that gives us an empowerment to speak the heart of God in a manner in which obedience will bear the same fruit. That's how tight we are with God being members of his body, being gifted by the Spirit. It's pretty awesome when you see that your heart linked with God and by the whispering of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit is as powerful as if Jesus in your place was right there. The bottom line is, is Jesus is in your place because you have placed yourself in Jesus's operational directive of being a disciple. That's why prayer is so important before, during, and after anything. And while anybody coming to you, prayed for, you can truly believe will be touched and blessed. We've seen that. And God gives you evidence of how effectively you've worked representing himself to someone who has need of your voice, your touch, your compassion. Seven times, that's what he was to do. Notice what the outcome is on this verse 11. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. Pastors can obviously get the blame very much because we can't be everywhere with everyone at the same time. We're not quite like Jesus if they thought. I never worry about it. Because I've always seen the Lord give his evidential hand, providential empowerment to someone who linked with me, does the work, just like I would, just like Jesus would. I never impose too much on me because I can't handle too much, but I can handle a person at a time, or I can hand off a person at a time. But the best thing is when I see people just handle the situation because it's timely, because it's right, and they're doing it. And so he's angry. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. This is the way God's got to do it. He's got to wave his hand over it. And so we get into that. It's got to be done this way, the way that I imagine it, and just waving his hand over it. And so very often people get disappointed because what they say is this is the way God's got to do it. 
And God says, no, not really. I do a lot of things, and I do it my way. I do it just the way I want it. And I'll never attach, per se, an experiential thing to see that that is what others will learn from. That's why very often in the new contemporary churches, it's becoming, if you would, experimental for the experiential. You got strobe lights coming out. It looks like a disco ball, and you've got lasers shining, and you've got magnetic, charismatic personalities, and much of it is centered on what was entertainment. I don't mind anything that can be ambiance to a spiritual activity, but when the experiential, if you would, attributes become greater than the person that we are worshiping, actually, it becomes what's the next thing that we do? What's, what's the next thing that we do? The church down in Garden Grove was, I believe, in its origin, genuine, but it didn't take too long before its focus wasn't on Jesus. The Hour of Power is what it was called. Dr. Schuler was the pastor. He became robed in a purple attire. Everything became fantastic. I believe towards the close of his ministry, he would even come up from a subfloor unlike an elevator that would come up and as he came up from the floor with his arms outstretched this fountain would come up in front of him and it was all show and it became philosophically a spirituality but it wasn't a true spirituality on Jesus Christ and him alone and so this is Naaman's conflict right now what's going to be done the way that I want it done are not the Abana and the Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel could I not wash in them and be clean isn't there an alternative there must be some other way from my examination what God is asking of me is just not the way that I want it done there's got to be a different means. So he turned and went away, and it says he went away in rage. You're going to see people that will leave God, leave the church in a rage because he didn't do things the way they wanted it done. That happens. It's actually one of the interesting conditions of both pastoring and being a congregant. It's inflow and it's outflow, input and output. And I just say, just put your foot down Take a seat, grow, get old in your faith, but dynamic in the renewal of your youth. Stay a while. See what God will do in his way. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. Catch that phrase, wash and be clean. How wonderful it is when the ears of those who have sat before the word of God, they've come out of cultural captivity. They've dared to see 
that their life is going nowhere. They're infected with a leprous condition in which their sensitivities have been destroyed and they realize they got one shot and they come in most every time but the time in which the word of the Lord is wash and be clean. We baptized two sisters at the lake. It was wonderful. And a young woman that had been coming here both faithfully and has been touched by the Lord dynamically, and you could see it. We had one of our young men, our disciples, come forward to be baptized. That was Josiah. It was on his heart. He'd asked, can I be baptized? I think I was sprinkled when I was a young guy. I said, absolutely. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Come and do it. I think he added at least five more, a full week of water to the lake because of the tears that were flowing. There were actually two that were crying. Some just joyfully, the two sisters just, you know, Gracie and Charlie. Beautiful. And then their brother helping me baptize them. And then I just kept him and we just kept baptizing. Tears of joy, radiance of a work that God deeply did in them that they chose to express publicly. It was wonderful. And I say that with great bravado because it's not easy for me to get into water that isn't 80 degrees. I keep thinking, oh, Lord, hold me. Don't make me scream. I keep my heart beating. So to me, it's always a miracle that I come out as opposed to end up being a floater. Wash and be clean. That's an invitation today. Wash and be clean. Maybe that's a decision that you yet have to make. Why do I have to make it? Well, because Jesus commended his disciples to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't save you. What it does is it keeps you saved for him. It's a means by which your public confession already acknowledges what the Lord has done in your heart. And you're no longer susceptible to saying my way, but you are now going to say Yahweh. It's your way, Lord. And so notice this, the beautiful conclusion. So we went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He's guilty of kidnapping a little child who became the voice piece of God through his wife, whom he listened to, whom then, as he sought what to do, he was directed to Elisha, who told his servant what he needed to do. In a fit of rage, he denied that. And then in a moment of diplomacy from those who served him, he complied. God knows how to work through rage and frustration and anger. And he knows how to use even the voice of one that would say, oh, he's so much bigger than me. He's my employer. If I say this, I could get fired. He's a warrior. I could get killed. And finally, you just see this resignation, this beautiful resignation in which he obediently dunks himself seven times. Now, the interesting thing there, too, is that it doesn't indicate that there's anyone baptizing him. Literally, it's 
the Lord himself by the word that was given that's acknowledging this baptism. And I'm not saying that everybody that gets baptized could have done it at home in your bathtub and your shower because it's still a public proclamation. The fact of the matter is that it had to be in the waters of the Jordan and it did have to be seven times, which is the number of perfection. In this Naaman, I will perfect your cleansing as you express your obedience and you will go back a different man. Notice how he will link the favor that he's enjoyed with now the God who has healed him through the prophet who has given the directive. Pretty amazing. His flesh was restored and he was clean, just like a little child. I'll bet you he said, sweetie, you're going back to mom and dad. You've served me well. Honey, pack her a lunch. And the garments that I sent to the king, the gold and all of the attributes and tributes to that guy who just mocked me and rent his clothes, it's gone to mom and dad. We don't know that that would be true. What I'm saying is when a man is changed, he does what is right. And the rightness there probably would have been, I'm releasing you back to your folks. Whatever my men took, whatever damage they did, they'll answer to me, but I now answer to God. That's the way evangelism works. We'll close there and we'll pick it up next week in that spot. But let me say this as we advance. And what we've seen so far is that there is an examination that took place. He realized something wasn't right any longer in his life. And it for him meant that it would be ostracizing him from what he enjoys doing, what he wants to do, both in being a family man and ultimately being a warrior. The scriptures itself give him credit that God's favor was upon him. As a result of that, he was having success with Syria and the king of Syria. Even though Syria was doing wrong, it doesn't mean that God will stop doing what's right, and that's impressing people. And lastly, the remedy. Examination, then determination, and ultimately remedy. The principles are still there for you and I as well.